It's a new year, it's a new decade, it's a new home of motorsport coverage. Welcome once more to the Race MotoGP podcast. My name is Toby Moody and I'm joined this week by Simon Patterson. And this week what we're going to do is have a look at what Valentino Rossi is doing in MotoGP over the last few years. Just to go back a step... Valentino Rossi first did a Grand Prix when he was just 17 years old and a couple of months. That was back in 1996. He did two years on a 125. He did two years on a 250. And then in 2000, he was in the top class. He was on a 500cc Honda. He was just 21 years old when he was on that 500cc Honda. And here he is now in 2020 at 41 years old. The stats are out of this world. He's done 402 starts out of the 942 that there have ever been in the top class of Grand Prix racing. That's 42% of the Grand Prix that Valentino has been in of the Grand Prix ever. Um, A great fun little stat to kick you off, Simon, is he's done 234 podiums. That's 12 seasons of podiums. (laughs) <laughs> That's a fantastic way of putting it into context, isn't it? You sometimes he's become such a fixture in the paddock that sometimes you forget that he's just been there forever. That you know he's he's been around that long. That he's got such a career, and even even still now, you you kind of look at how you, that Peter Pan effect is still working, and how young and how upbeat he is. He doesn't feel like an old man, which I think is maybe part of the reason why it's so easy to forget that. He actually is an old man now. He's, he's cracking on, he's cracking on, yeah. And, 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 you know, for the fans, a lot of them must go to these Grand Prix and they think it's Christmas every day and there's Christmas every year at a Grand Prix. But, of course, one day it's going to stop and nobody wants to talk about it, but we're going to have to broach it. He has had 115 Grand Prix victories full stop. You have to believe he's been pushing, pushing, pushing to get to that Agostini 122. He's only seven Grand Prix away from getting that magic level or even eight to beat it. But the thing is, Simon, you know, the, the, the last Grand Prix victory that he had was back in 2017. That's, that's two and a half years ago. He only had a couple of podiums last year. The Yellow Army are going to bash me by saying, oh, you've given up on him. But sooner or later... Things catch up with you, don't they? The, the strange thing I've always found of late uh, in the last few interviews I've done with him, whenever I've spoken about that record of Agostini's, because it always inevitably comes up whenever you're talking to the guy, and um, he doesn't even register it when you're talking to him. His target is still 10th championship, which shows a pretty amazing level of self-commitment, especially given, like you say, that the results over the last few years just haven't been there the way that we're used to with them. Um, Obviously, part of that, I think, is because we know that the Yamaha hasn't been the best bike in the grid of late. It's uh, far gone from the the sort of Yamaha heydays of Jorge Lorenzo and Valentino Rossi fighting for every championship and every race win and every podium between them. Um, But it looks now like they've made some real step forward this year. Uh, Maverick Vinales was very, very happy after pre-season test, and we know what Fabio Quadraro was doing on the bike. So, you know, maybe maybe we're being a little bit too harsh on Valentino because the bike has been a little bit more difficult to ride, and things might change. Maybe there's a return to winning whenever things kicks off. Who knows? There might not necessarily be anything wrong with the bike. It's the 
people that he's battling with that's the problem. You know, you've got Mark who just turns up and wipes the floor and the one year that Marquez didn't win, Lorenzo was victorious back in, in 2015 with that rather messy end to the season. But Valentino that year was only five points off the championship victory in 2015. And you have to remind yourself about that, how close he was. It was a it was a sticky end to the year. I spoke with somebody very close to, to Valentino a couple of weeks after the end of the season and he said, oh, you know, it's really knocked him. You know, the, the love of the sport has gone and the fire has gone and all that emotional stuff, which you have to thrive on. It's easier to tune the motorcycle than the rider's head, as we all know. But but the the fight that he's got and the 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 the, the, the travel that he's done and the PR and the and the testing, I know it's a lot less now than it was then. But you have still got to fling yourself down the Mugello Strait at 223 miles an hour, sat on 158 kilos of motorcycle that's trying to kill you. I think... And that takes some balls. This might be a podcast of um, unpopular opinions, but I'm going to throw out another one. Whenever, uh, so last year, whenever I was still writing for MCN, I, I had a look for the 70th anniversary of Grand Prix racing. I looked back at the 70 years for a big feature we did, and my initial thought was, oh, we'll do it by decade. But the way it sort of turned out, it became that the best way to tell the story was by champion, by, by sort of hero of the sport. By era. Yeah. And when you look back through it, there's obviously these names who are, you know, immediately linked to an era like Hillwood, like Agostini, like the Americans. But on average, whenever you count it up, that sort of dominance lasts about eight years. You get eight prime years at the top of MotoGP. And we know Valentino is an exception to most rules, but... He's been there, he's done that, he's had his eight years, and if anything, we're well and truly into the era of someone you know with Mark. Didn't Ago only win for something like 11 years? Yeah. 11 or 12 years? You know, that that was it. He did all his winning, 122 Grand Prix. I know he might have won three races on a day, which rather helped it. So, arguably, pro rata, Valentino is higher up than the second position that he is already in. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, but but what, we, what we're here to sort of come back on is is, is the, these last few years. I mean, 2015, we've touched on it. Four victories, second in the championship, only five points back of, of Lorenzo. 2016, he had two wins. Again, he was second in the championship. A couple of race win worth of points back of, of Mark. Uh, 49 points back. 2017, last win that was at Assen. Three podiums in 2018. Couple of podiums last year. Um, it can't be easy, and you have to admire the 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 Teflon nature, the bounce back nature, the never give up nature of these sportsmen at the top of their sport. Whether or not you're a, you're a, you're a Hoy or a Rossi or a a Holyfield or an Ali or a Pele, you just never, never give up. And then it's it's a joy to witness it. And I suppose we've been rather lucky to witness it, haven't we? Yeah. At whatever end, stage of his of his, of his riding career. The the thing that always surprises me with Valentino a little bit 
is just how motivated the guy is because we know uh, I'm sure both of us in personal experience we know that he's not impartial to an alcoholic beverage now and then that he likes a late night I couldn't night. possibly comment <laughs> he likes a late night he you know is a little bit allergic to the gym what did what did Burgess say when he went from 250 to 500 because of course 250 was Alamoto yeah. 2 the third free practice in the morning so he could have extra time in bed <laughs> and Burgess would be knocking on the door going get out of bed <laughs> I, I figured out recently as well that that attitude, I think, is a little bit contagious because we did a, a Q&A one day with Frankie Morbidelli and one of the questions uh, a fan asked was, what does he normally have for breakfast? And he just sort of went, mm, normally I go straight to lunch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. You know, Valentino just, he isn't a morning person. He isn't, you know, we know from testing, don't we? We see a Monday test after a race. Everyone else is on track. Five to nine, or, you know, they're at the end of pit lane, ready to go in their leathers. Valentino might turn up at 11 o'clock and wander out for a few laps. No pressure. That's very much his attitude to it. So so to have that attitude and still to be as motivated as he is, so, you know, fair play to him. I wish I had it. Do you think the Yamaha has turned a corner for, for 2020? What's what's your take? Yeah, I'm fairly sure it has. Uh, in a few good chats with Maverick over the course of testing, uh, both media debriefs and just sort of chats you know what it's like you sort of you go to Valentino's debrief and he's running late so Maverick's floating around because he's arrived early and you get the best information of them whenever you don't have a microphone in their face correct but the, the overall impression from him is 100% the bike has made a real big step forward the Michelin rear tyre we talked about in the last podcast has also made a huge step forward if you're on an inline four exactly for the sort of things that they were struggling with as well the sort of the end of race tire life they uh you know keeping going and being able to take the fight right to the last lap whenever you look at maverick's race pace over the course of testing and whenever you look at valentino's as well there is a real improvement there suddenly they're a lot closer to the front than they were uh a few rounds ago you know we did a like a race simulation on the race based on uh, t- test times from Qatar, their fastest 22 laps, and Valentino was right there in the fight for the podium. Mm, that must be an amazing feeling, though, mustn't it? If you're if you're if you're a 41 year old guy who, you know, finished second in the European Championship back in '95. What were you doing in '95? I was still at primary school. <laughs> <laughs> I was 22. <laughs> Yeah, and and <clears throat> and here he is now, and he's still knocking on the door of a podium. It's just another world, but it just proves that the the kick, the adrenaline, the buzz, the vibe, the the whole buzz that is getting on one of these things with you know two two seventy two eighty horsepower, one hundred and fifty eight kilos is just another world, isn't it? It's just another world. He. Uh, he 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 he's got to, he's got to that sounds like i'm ordering you have to believe he wants to just click that extra switch and get another couple of grand prix and if somebody else has a bad day to quote greg lemond and that that famous tour de france that he won on the last day you know if i have a good day and he has a bad day things will turn around and it was a minute and a half gone the next day you know um it might just work out. And if those Hondas are going to have a bad day, you never know. 
and and you know we look back we, we've already talked about 2015 the season Honda can have a bad year never mind a bad race weekend and then they they had bad four yeah. years in in the in the 800 yeah, era they did and what happened Yamaha romped to win after win so you know it, it's not unreasonable that he can be right there again I think that the biggest problem maybe he has that is that on a on a bad day for everyone else and on a good day for Yamaha he might have moved a little bit from being the number one Yamaha or the number two Yamaha to maybe being the number three Yamaha because the rise of Fabio Quattararo as this sort of slow decline of Valentino happens means that it's going to be even more difficult for him this year than it was last year I think to, to win races again there's another one in the mix exactly and Yamaha, they've got to spread their load. They they can't back him forever. Jarvis said that, team principal for, for, for Yamaha Motor Racing, you know, he did say what middle of last year, you know, we can't leave our eggs in that basket as, if it's going to float downstream. Um, maybe he'll start winning again and find another wi- another break, another another wind in his sails to, to kick through. You know, you mentioned the eras of MotoGP racing done by rider. And you said the average kind of span was eight years here and nine years there or whatever. Valentin is now 20 in the top class. As Kenny Senior used to say, you can only do it for 10 years mentally at this level. It just wears you out. You burn out. You know, you hear it of all sorts of people in all walks of life, the burnout. So... It'll be interesting and to, to just give it that one last push. My, my concern would be, um, and I, I've said this before, that the worst race that's ever happened if your MotoGP boss Carmelo Espeleta was the eight-hour endurance race at Abu Dhabi last year where Valentino turned up, entered the pro-am class with him as the pro and Uccio as the amateur and stuck it in the This podium. is in cars, yeah, by the way, cars. folks. This is in cars, yeah. And stuck yeah. it on the podium. That, for me, is the worst yeah. thing that's ever happened for MotoGP at current when it comes to Valentino because my one concern about him not sticking around is that if there is the chance to get that buzz of winning as opposed to the buzz of sitting on a 300 brake horsepower motorcycle over the crest at turn one at Mugello, it then becomes about the, the sort of the mental, the mental weighing up process for him, doesn't it? It's which buzz let, he wants let, most. Let, let me galvanise that, you pup. I'm older than you. I don't know by how much, but I'm older than you. But I can tell you, I can tell you Patterson, that when you get older, <laughs> you don't take as many risks. Whatever they say... You know, you just you just think, oh, what's around this corner? Or, hmm, I might fall off this ladder in the old days. I'll be <laughs> messing about. So, yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, yeah, um, but he did do the Ferrari thing. He did do the Subaru rally thing and the Peugeot rally thing. He, he, he has done stuff behind the scenes that we probably never know about, you know, at, at Mizano and thrashing and drifting with his dad and all sorts. Um, I don't quite think it's the worst thing that's ever happened, but it's just, do you know what? His his finances have nothing to do with us, but do you know what? Go and spend your money. And what I think he has done with Kessel, who run the car for him, is he'll buy the car, he'll, he'll rent the car, but then he'll sell sponsorship for the car 
to the monsters, the whatevers, and and he 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 invoices those sponsors. You know, it's not monster hiring the car for him that weekend. Uh, I know that's how the Rally Monza worked when he was with 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 M Sport. Um, so yeah, it is a buzz. Le Mans twenty four hours on the horizon. Wouldn't it be great though to to have him come out of of MotoGP fit and healthy? Because that does worry me. You know, the more you race, the bigger the chance. And it might not be your act, your fault. Turn one at Mugello or that turn one at uh, Mategi some years ago. Six of them down the road. Um, and then he can go on to another career and then the fans the world over can can follow him in another way. And, and we might have touched on this at the last podcast, if he has his own team in MotoGP, wouldn't that be great to have the yellow, the 46, the, the him around to bump into him? What are your thoughts? He'll have a different perspective on the, the race, the paddock, the politics, the whatever. It would be interesting, wouldn't it? Just funny, you know, whenever you, you sort of you hear something, you hear someone say something and then you hear, you think it's something else you heard a few days ago and it all clicks. Just what you were saying there about risk. I don't know if you saw it, he did a little video series this week with Dinesi where he sort of took them into his leathers cave and showed them all his like head and leathers and everything. And he maintained in the video that the single greatest technological improvement in MotoGP in the last 20 years is the airbag suit. Exactly. Which isn't really the view of someone who's young and foolhardy, is it? Mm, very true, yes, yes. It's maybe quite telling um, that. Maybe we're reading too much into it. There is that. Um, I believe he's a shareholder of Dynamite. There is a connection there as well. Yeah. There's... There, I, I, so, you know, he does have a passion for it. I mean, you know, they are the, the you know, what you want to call it, the... The, the, the Ducati, the Ferrari of, of leathers, aren't they? <laughs> um, and they, they, they do it in their own, in their own way. Uh, the airbag is, is quite something else. I'm sure like you, you, you've had it exploded on yourself. It's quite something. Um, and it is, it is hopefully, and will have saved lives. It's in skiing, it's in horse riding, you can buy it to use on your motorbike on the road. And yes, it's expensive now, but of course it will decrease yeah. just like mobile phones. Yeah. And it's getting better um, all the time. You know, one of the mm. one of the things that he picked out in that interview was the the Dinesi uh, suit now has a big red light in the back that turns on whenever you crash, whenever the airbag fires. So if you're in the wet race, you hit the ground in the middle of a pack. You know, there's constant innovation. And the guys mm. at Dinesi are... They've got some properly smart people there. So, oh yeah, yeah. I do. I do feel sorry. I know we're going off track a little, but I do feel sorry. <laughs> and there's a video out there some somewhere of somebody falling off an Aprilia 250. You know, the black Chesterfield coloured yeah. one, as the first literally real crash test dummy <laughs> to see if the airbag would go off. And of course, in those days, it was an externally mounted thing yes. outside the leathers. It would sort of pop out. But I did sort of think, hmm. Getting on a motorcycle, knowing that you're going to fall off it, that must be quite a feeling. But I'm sure that they bought him the beer that night. So. <laughs> I also yeah. know, well, we're on the tangent, but it's quick. I also know that um, in 2010 and 2011, after they brought in the Dinesi airbag suit in MotoGP, Guy Martin rode the TT with all of the telemetry, but none of the actual firing mechanism. And that was the data that they used to develop the road suit so that they could determine what conditions you get in a public road so that your suit doesn't fire when you hit Black Bridge. 
Well, nobody, no, nobody will make it go any quicker on a B road in the UK <laughs> than him. Um, yeah, that's quite something. So, yeah, I, I, what, what, what are your not thoughts, but wishes is the wrong word for him to go forward? Because now we've got to drift into decision-making time for him for 2020. But what would what would you like to see him do? Well, obviously, the first thing to say is that part of the decision has been made for him. Yamaha have already announced for 2021 that Fabio Quattararo will be replacing him in the factory team, which, like you said earlier, they had to do. They had to invest in the future. They had to invest in young talent. They had to ensure that there's a legacy after Valentino because as great as he's been for them, he won't be there forever. And, uh, you know, it's the old adage about by securing Fabio, they also prevented Ducati from having him. It's a double, double win. So they had to make that move. But Lynn Jarvis has said they'll support him in whatever he does in the future. So the option is there if he wants to run his own team, potentially. We know that Dorna still have two empty grid spots that are reserved for the VR46 team until such time that there's a, a reorganisation of the grid spaces. And there's the option of Patronus, of joining the satellite team, which initially I thought he would just, that would be just a complete no. Stepping down to the satellite team just wouldn't work for him. He is a little bit more circumspect about it. He's, you know, he hasn't ruled it out. He said, eh, maybe we could, maybe we couldn't, let's see what happens. But I think realistically, in terms of what I'd like him to see him do, I think I'd like him to see him to see him buy out. You know, like you say, he's had a great run. He's injury free. Um, you know, the guy has almost never broken a bone in the last fifteen years. The worst injury he had was on an enduro bike at five kilometers an hour messing around with his mates. Whoa, 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 whoa! He fell off at Mugello in twenty ten. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, but yeah. but since then, you know, that's ten years ago. Oh, good God, so it is. <laughs> How time flies. <laughs> it does, yeah. Uh, so, so it would be good to see him walk away unhurt, fully fit. Um, you know, he's all loved up at the minute. There's loads of rumours that he might have popped the question to the new girlfriend. Uh, he's got a stable full of kids with the VR46 Academy to bring through. They're starting to show their potential now. Two of them in MotoGP, two of them world champions. Uh, probably a few more of them in contention for world championships this coming year so there's a risk for me and I think this is what a call comes down to the longer you stay there not winning the more you've got a potential to tarnish your reputation quite yeah that that's my worry for him my main concern is don't hurt yourself just don't you've got this far it's one of my regular sayings you've done the difficult bit don't just please for his health and creaky bones like poor old Barry had had to go to the Gold Coast to not creak in the when he woke up on a wet British morning um, <clears throat> you know he's hopefully financially secure as I say none of our business but you'd like to think you so. would like to think so someone has done something very very wrong if he isn't yes. whatever you're going to Jibo do is now gone the size of the empire yeah, Jibo, the old manager, long gone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but but um, but yeah, uh, would he go to Patronus? You said that there's a couple of free grid spots, but would Yamaha make six bikes? For any other person in the world? No. For Valentino Rossi? 
Maybe. Like he's the one person that could swing that, isn't he? And let's be honest, you know, we've seen Zarco, Quadraro, Crutchlow, Smith, a whole lot, Espigaro, a whole lot of others on year old Yamahas and performing just as well. There's something about that year old yeah, Yamaha that it's got all the bugs ironed out of it and it really is the point two, isn't yeah. it? And and you just get on it, particularly as a rookie, you know, Tosland, Lorenzo, Quattararo, woomph, it's done, you know? It's it's there and available and quick. That's it. Could they stretch themselves to give him the full spec works? Super duper, as you say, anybody else in the world, no, but I mean, they can't lose him, they can't let him go to another manufacturer, they can't. He is Yamaha, isn't it weird that you forget that he ever rode for Ducati? (laughs) You do, it's just just deleted, isn't it? (laughs) Great idea, and I applaud him for it, absolutely, everybody for it. You had to give it a go. Oh, because. Winning on an Italian motorbike would have just been the greatest love story in Italian history. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, let's see. What has curtailed his decision-making process is the delay to the twenty to start to the start of the twenty twenty season with with the virus. So that won't be sitting well with him. But it's out of his control, and he'll just shrug his shoulders and have another espresso. Yeah. What else is there to do? We know he's not someone to stress out. We know he's not someone to panic. He, he, I guess, maybe it's a benefit of being a little bit older and a little bit less impetuous. He'll just take as it comes, I think. Um, He already, it's funny, the decision-making process had already went from we'll see after the first couple of races to we'll see around Mugello to I'll make my decision during the summer break. So there was already an extended timeline, which to me says he's in no huge rush to make the call either way. But he holds the cards. Of course he he's does. Valentino Rossi. Yeah. He holds the cards with, with, with Carmelo. He, to a certain degree, holds the cards with Yamaha. To a certain yeah. degree. That's... Not in a Senna-esque kind of way where he can decide who his teammate is, but, um, but particularly with Dorna... You know, I say it all the time, you know, to Lynn Jarvis, you shouldn't be paying his wages, send the invoice on to, to Carmelo. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think that would work. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say it in jest. One thing to remember, just that we uh, mentioned it there, is that obviously we know that there is more production capability in Yamaha than they've been letting on for years because Fabio Quattararo is on a 2020 bike this year. So there is a little bit more capability, which maybe hints at the fact that there could... You know, if they were to give Valentino a factory bike next year in a satellite team, all they'd be doing is supplying the same number of bikes they're already supplying this year. True, true, true. And if there is a wave of, we've had enough of this at Yamaha, to to stop the wave that has been Honda of late, you have to dig deep, you have to make sea changes, and you have to put the right people in the right places and you have to work eight days a week to make it happen. You know, you get up earlier, work harder. Um, I, I can't imagine that mm. the menta- knowing the mentality of Japanese companies and Japanese engineers that it has at all sat well going from best in the world to third best in the world for the last few years. Mm, quite, quite, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Well, whatever happens, uh, the last Grand Prix of this year, wherever it may be, we don't need to speculate because here we are in mid-March talking about it. I advise people to go to that race because it might just be his last race. Um, We may know by then. Um, We may not know by then. But I think if you've got a minute, just book a flight to that last race at Valencia late in in, in November and just to say you were there to see him. I'm actually going to change my answer to your earlier question, just thinking about it, whenever you asked what I wish for him. Actually... Let's go to Mugello in September towards the end of the season because the calendar's been arranged. Win the race, retire on the spot. Well, I touched on that at the last <laughs> podcast, yeah. didn't I? Stand on the podium at Mugello or Misano and go, do you know yeah. what? That's it. Yeah. Beer's on me. <laughs> Fabio, that blue bike sure is nice. See you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Jarvis going, no, 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 but you can't. Ciao. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do say, if it, wouldn't it be great if he could win those two Italian races, or at least one of them would just be on the podium, and and uh, the Italian commentator, oh, just, <laughs> that's what emotion and sport is all about. Uh, it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. So, uh, so yeah. And Good. Something, something to remember as well is that, you know, we, we've said that he hasn't won a race in two years, but he has come very, very close twice in a very short period of time you know uh, Sepang two years ago when he crashed out of the lead and yep. he thought the win was there and then again this yep. year in Texas until Rinzi put together a little bit of a late effort and managed to take it off him but you know that shows to me that he still has the pace not the pace to be at the front on his own merit necessarily but the pace to be there if a few other people just have a bit of an off day he's a wily old fox. day and he has a good day exactly he's yeah. a wily old fox he can yeah. exploit it <laughs> Oh, he's not stupid. (laughs) Oh, he's not stupid. Not stupid at all. We will see how it all pans out. Interesting chat. Interesting chat. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Keep in touch with the-race.com to catch up with Simon Patterson's news about MotoGP. And we will have another podcast soon with Simon and also with technical MotoGP guru Neil Spaulding. So in the meantime, from me, Toby Moody and Simon Patterson, keep in touch and we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye for now.